I didn't really get a chance to add to the show notes this week because I looked at them for the first time like half an hour ago. But uh, I was wondering, has your uh, government mentioned anything about contact tracing or See, developing I, I a contact might, tracing solution? I thought solution? you might be getting into this topic because I've seen you ranting I, I on to, Twitter. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. It's fine. I think it's good. You gotta get it out there. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, I got interviewed yesterday. I should send you the article. It was a useless article, but... Uh, I'll send it to you anyway. Canada banned um, assault-style firearms today. That That's a good news. I did see that. That's yeah. great. That I went really hope in that my... was not as an outcome of the coronavirus outbreak. Like, no, this no, is that not was, related news. That was the Nova Scotia yeah. thing. And it was already in, in motion before that. Yeah. Okay, but cool. it's just nice. You know, the, it's like there's something happening and then there is an action within. I know. I think it was like the same week. in Australia, if I remember correctly. Yeah. That there was a mass shooting in Australia, and then very shortly Correct. after, they had really strict gun rules. Yeah, the government <laughs> right? bought back all yeah. the guns. Yeah, so it seemed to it it seemed to have worked. Yeah, yeah, it, it has worked really well here. All the statistics say that it works. Imagine that the statistics actually following them. Whoa, <laughs> crazy concept, right? You take away the guns, shootings go down. We haven't had a mass <laughs> shooting since. No, whoa. <laughs> Logic. But how are people going to defend themselves from all the non-existent mass shootings? Whoa, America. Oh, <laughs> uh, sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but no, no, I think... I, I I don't actually know what they are doing for contact tracing here. It's called exposure notifications now. All right, right. Keep sorry. up with the lingo. Um, do you know, Kai, is Canada's plan to use uh, Apple's uh, exposure tracing APIs? Um, Apple's and Google. Sorry, Google. <laughs> I mean, realistically, it just seems like it was an Apple design, and Google's like, all right, we do it as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I think I don't know where I've heard that, but it seems that the design for the all this exposure notification stuff is based on how the um, you know, the Apple tracker, the Apple tile competitor oh, okay. mm-hmm. how that is supposed to use like the every device can see them and then notify where they are that would make like sense. that kind of anonymous yeah. tracking i think it's based on that so mm-hmm. it feels v- fairly likely yeah. that it was just apple's design that everyone agreed on yeah yeah because apple but that's, already yeah, had. it wouldn't surprise me it's like apple wanted this solution it could very well be their initiative but it obviously doesn't work if you don't have mm-hmm. android phones involved too so you need yeah. to get google on board and even mm-hmm. if apple provide all the support for that then yeah, it is what it is. But. And then, I mean, I think if if Apple already had a solution in place or a plan in place, then uh, and it works well, like it makes sense for Google to jump on that as well. Like, why try to reinvent something if Apple already is ahead of it? So I think that's yeah. And this isn't a feature that's a competitive advantage at all, right? You need to share it with everybody and let everybody use it. And yeah, it's it shouldn't be something that like iMessage, but you don't want contact tracing to be about. That you want everybody yeah. to adopt it and adopt <laughs> the same solution because that's the only way that it works. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, how is it going in in Australia with the uptake of the contact tracing APIs? Um, th- so, the Australian government released an app about a week ago, uh, actually last Sunday, so six days ago, as we mm-hmm. record. Um, it last I heard was at three and a half million downloads. Um, our prime minister. Got, uh, I did a, did a, an interview yesterday, like a press conference where he said, basically it was like a passive aggressive threat of, <laughs> we want to reopen the country, but we need more downloads on this app by this time next week when we're making those decisions, which 
man, rub me all kind of, like, oh, <laughs> rub me the wrong way. Like, so many levels. Uh, it is also illegal to make people use the app in this country, just for the record. Um, but uh, they didn't adopt the Apple Google APIs. So, what do you mean by illegal? As in, you can't force people to use an app? The government can't compel you to use it, and they can't say that you're only allowed outside if you use it, and private businesses also can't say that their employees must use it before returning to work, and businesses also can't say that people, like customers, must be using it to be a customer. You're not in any way allowed to be compelled to use it. There's there's going to be strict regulation that says that, but they've been very clear because there's a lot of privacy concerns about it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's That aside... um, I mean, it's good that you can't be compelled to use it, but they didn't pick the Apple Google solution and mm-hmm. it's it's leading to all kinds of problems. It's basically ineffective on iOS. Um, granted, from a privacy and security perspective, they're probably doing better than I was expecting. Um, the app itself seems pretty okay. It's based on the Singapore equivalent. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was called Trace Track or Trace Together. Or, I think Trace Together. Um, it's based on that. They apparently got the source code for that. I don't know how much is shared and how much isn't. But the problem with that app was that on iOS, well, apart from, well, there's two problems sort of with the with this approach. Um, the first is that it requires contact information at all. Now, if you recall, Apple and Google's solution doesn't require any contact information. Everything's done on device. Your device downloads the list of infected IDs and um, processes them locally and will inform you locally if something mm-hmm. goes wrong. So, the yep. like the governing authorities have no idea who you are and it's up to you then as the user to take um, take that information and act accordingly. Go and see somebody if you want. Don't go and see somebody if you don't want. Mm-hmm. Um, but also also in terms of the reporting, right? I mean, it's, it's also right. um, very much up to the user to say, hey, share my information. Um, otherwise, it's stored on your on your device, as I understand it. Yes, yeah. So it won't go up to the cloud unless yeah. you're um, unless you're infected and marked as infected. That's that's yeah. fair. Um, the Australian government one gets a few bits of personal information. The one that you can lie about all of them, with the exception of phone number, because if you lie about phone number, you might as well not use the app because that's how they contact you if you've supposedly been exposed. Oh, now, so the, they don't use I any mean, push notifications. They just. Send There's text. no notifications as far as I know. It's, yeah, that, like somebody will call you if you have been in contact. <laughs> wow, so that's a creep. That's the first yeah. problem. Yeah, okay. I know. It's like they are collecting PII, which, not great. And um, you're also relying on someone manually sitting there making phone calls to everyone. Correct. Yep. Yep. Bit, hmm. um, yeah, <laughs> notify you in some way or another. So, yeah, it's a bit okay. stupid, but apparently you can lie about all the other information. But still, like in this country to buy <laughs> to, to get a SIM card, you generally need to show ID. So... They kind of know who everyone is who has a SIM card. Anyway, mm-hmm. so it's not that. Uh, look, really, uh, from all that's been said and done, that's probably the least of the two concerns. Um, it, it's going to be heavily regulated. It's not yet, as in who can do what with the data. Um, it's not ideal. It's it would be better if they didn't collect any personal information. But look, I understand that they needed to move fast, and this was the solution they ch- they chose. It's okay. Um, do you know if they started you- working on this before Apple announced their public APIs? I don't know exactly when they started working on it, but they announced that they were working on it after the Apple okay. Google APIs. So. Uh, there was something that once this app came out, there was one quote that was given to a journalist that said they would be looking at adopting the Apple and Google APIs. So we'll see. I have questions about how that, if hypothetically they did go on to adopt it, how that would work. Is it the same app? Is it a different app? If it's the same app, do you have a weird transition period mm. where you're sort of running on both systems until everybody yep. switched over? 
or if you update, do you just get the new Apple Google one? And then suddenly, what do they do with the existing information they've collected? You kind of, everyone's on a different version of the app. Who knows? I have so many questions about that, but <laughs> let's assume for, like, for uh, as, as much as we know sitting here now, they're not adopting it. Um, they might have plans to, who knows? We'll see. Um, but yeah, so then the second problem is that it doesn't really work on iPhones. Like, just the way that background Bluetooth works mm-hmm. on an iPhone, it's ineffective. And people are taking this app. And it's actually... It, it, it's better than I thought in that it will occasionally uh, work in the background and it will occasionally ping. Um, but it sort of relies on a few things. Like, it relies on an Android device being nearby as, like, the transmitter. So, it picks up the signal from that and then it... It's because of the way that Bluetooth works. You can only either be a transmitter or a receiver at any given time. You can't be both. Um, So, it's just ineffective on iOS. And so, the recommended approach is to keep the app open because in that case, they have full control over the Bluetooth and how it's working. Mm -hmm. Um, So, it's kind of ineffective. If you are going to use it, you really need to keep the app open as much as possible. I've actually been asked by family members whether they should use it. And for the ones who are still going out into the world, I'm like, yes, but be aware of the limitations on iOS. And if you want to use it properly, you're going to either need to keep it open or keep it in the foreground, like bring it to the foreground every few minutes when you're on a train or, or when you're in the office. Like if you want to, if you want to use it, that's fine. I don't think it's malicious, but you should probably, um, just be aware that it's ineffective if you just leave it on your phone and never touch it. Also, a lot of these family members are people who habitually force quit apps. And if you do that, it's not going to work at all, no matter mm-hmm. what. So, these are just all these all things to keep in mind. Um, but then, in the last few days, it's been discovered that if you have a medical device that connects via Bluetooth, for example, a Dexcom CGM, which I do not have at the moment. Um, I don't remember if we've spoken about this on the podcast, but I'm not using Dexcom for the moment. That's a different story. Um, But if you do have something like a Dexcom, which is using background Bluetooth every five minutes to talk to um, a continuous glucose monitor attached to your stomach and pull a reading from that, it's apparently not working as reliably with the COVID safe app, I guess, because both of the apps are competing for background Bluetooth. And the way mm-hmm. that iOS manages this means that they both don't get the time that they want in the background, um, forcing the Dexcom to skip readings, which is obviously less than ideal. And Diabetes Australia have come out and said, look, we know there's issues. We've told the government, um, uninstall COVID safe if you want. And my understanding of the Apple Google API is that it doesn't interfere with any third party. Like, I know it's third party apps using the API, but the underlying way that it's working where it's scanning for tokens and, and, and transmitting its own token is not interfering with the existing Bluetooth stack. It's not interfering with third party apps and how they function. So, anyway, just another reason, another favor, sorry, another point in favor of the Apple Google solution because um, mm-hmm. it's not great if you have to choose between getting your blood sugar readings in real time and using yep. COVID safe. Honestly, personally, I'd be going for the blood sugar because I know that it, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. like that's yeah. more important information to me when COVID safe hardly works anyway. Yeah. Um, like I said, uh, like my suggestion was to family members, I would probably be using, I'm not going out at the moment, so I'm not using the app, but look, if I was getting on a train for any reason, I probably would use the app and I'd probably leave it open and unlocked. Um, because I think it is better than nothing, but I'm still pretty against uh, the way that this has been taken, the way that this has been approached when they were present, the government was presented with two solutions and they took the worst one, the one that, the one that makes this app ineffective. And we're in a country where over half of the smartphones are iPhones. So it's Mm -hmm. not like, 
it's not like a minority of people are getting a worse experience and they really want to encourage uptake, but this is not going to help because what, even if you got everyone with an iPhone on this thing, it's going to be ineffective. So, But I also don't really understand why this turned into such a... Um, it almost feels like a, a battle between people who understand the technology and the government and, and people that understand the technology includes Apple and Google in this case, right? But why is there such a contention between those two parties? Everyone wants the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't exactly. understand yeah. why... And it's also not... Uh, it doesn't seem like the discussion is between the healthcare system in Australia or the healthcare providers and Apple. Like, it seems to be more of a government versus Apple and Google. But, but conceptually, right, it's a government it's, initiative. It's, it's weird, though. Why wouldn't... I, I totally understand that you're saying, look... Apple is ready and Apple and Google are ready whenever they're ready. Sure, whatever. We want something that works, but we're aware of their white papers and we design a system that will work. And as soon as Apple's APIs are available, we'll use them immediately mm-hmm. because it will then actually work way better. But in in the interim, you have the solution where you put your phone upside down in your pocket while having it unlocked because that's the best we can do for the next seven days until Apple is ready or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And for iPhones, you probably need to update to iPhone uh, iOS 14.5, right? In order uh, 13.5, <laughs> unless Apple accidentally <laughs> leaks 14 <laughs> with this. Um, you know, there will be some kind of slow uptake or certain devices might be like slower to update and those kind of things. So we have something that works right now, works for all devices. And then for all the new devices, we use the new APIs because they're obviously better. That seems to me would be a sane approach to this. We all want the best. We we got something out before Apple was ready. As soon as Apple's ready, we f- have full plans. We already know the APIs. We already have a test version ready that we're ready to update as soon as Apple is shipping the update. And then like that seems like a normal, sensible discourse to have. But I feel like from everything I've seen about this discussion, it's it's very strangely polarizing while it feels like everyone everyone has to everyone wants the same Mm -hmm. people want to make sure that if you're in in contact with someone who was infectious that you know that you've potentially uh been in contact with that person and should act corresponding to to that that reality and and isolate yourself or get yourself checked or whatever your health uh care situation Mm -hmm. is in in the in, in the place you're living in but I don't understand why there's so much conflict around that. Yeah. It seems like a very... Thing. It's become sadly political. So I think it's a matter of the government wanted to get a solution out as soon as possible with which the intention fine, right? of yeah. reopening the company. Sorry, reopening the country, yeah. which I kind of... Like, I get there. I get what they're, they're going for here. But the thing is, while we're all still in lockdown, contact tracing app is almost useless it's not useless completely i know people people are still going out out, right like and those people are more likely to to also need those kind of like let's say you're you're someone who cares for the elderly in some kind of long-term care uh, facility if you would be in touch with someone or have been in the same subway with someone who was later identified to be uh, COVID 19 positive you really got to know because you might kill 20 30 people by not knowing that you are have been exposed and potentially been non-symptomatic carrier of the virus and you're mm-hmm. you're dealing with people in risk groups you, you know just because a lot of people stay at home doesn't mean it's not not valuable i think that gr- we should all agree there is value in this it is opt-in but most reasonable people probably will opt-in mm-hmm. and we're designing the best system we're capable of and we're adopting as with anything, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Like- so I think that's more what uh, what seemed to be 
uh, like that's what seems strange about this if like i think I, i'm totally on board like yeah just go ahead and make what you can as soon as possible like make the best that's that, that you possibly can but then as soon as apple and google introduce things um and that w- it, that is a, and that potentially is a better solution it's surprising why they wouldn't i wouldn't know why they would decide to not use something that would be work better for the population is there have a, have any politicians addressed this in any way oh yeah, yeah yeah they're all addressing it and they're all so it started the concern started around privacy and security of not using the apple google solution and they've all said ah oh, it's designed with the utmost privacy standards and security and the data is yeah. safe and they're passing laws to prevent uh, misuse of the data and all and i get that it's all good but um it just doesn't make sense how like i think in the long run this is going to be less effective and having it out mm-hmm. a week or two early is probably not ideal when you compare that to uh, long-term how many iPhones are not going to be running this software as effective as they yeah. could be. Uh, I totally get uh, starting with a solution and changing it a few weeks later. It gets confusing. Yeah, but that's um, why I'm surprised that but- they wouldn't say, okay, we're going to... We understand that this API or the solution we have now is having some limitations, but we will release a new update that has all of the new things that Apple and Google provide us with. Like that, that seems more like a way of handling it. But do you think they potentially? Like, do you think? Do you think it's a chance that they will do that, or does it seem like they don't even want to adopt Apple's? implementations well like i said there was one quote that said they're looking into it and i think a lot of the tech community is holding out hope that it will happen mm. yeah um, and yeah it's like i, I, mean, I it makes know there sense, were- right there's a way better option going to be available yeah. soon why wouldn't like if if any government that doesn't adopt a better solution has a different agenda from from the health of their their population like there there's just no reason to say we don't want to adopt a solution that works better yeah unless, unless apple is terribly flawed or there's some yeah. other issues you know then sure you, whatever but assuming that it works and i i feel i do have a tendency to believe that apple knows better how their phones work and how their software works and how their bluetooth apis work and how their their permissions work then the Australian government has an idea of how all of those things work. I think government is, is, is decent in certain places. I think in building technology within the Apple ecosystem, I think Apple is still having a small, small edge. Um, so just I, a little one. Yeah. yeah, just a little one. So, uh, I, like not adopting that if, if it is working is, showing that they actually had a different agenda. Like, I feel like it's that simple. You, you can look at that. Did they adopt the, the thing that works? Or did they decide that they want to use it as a whatever? Whatever you might read into it, whatever size of your tinfoil head, right? You were <laughs> like, they want to collect all our personal information or whatever you think. I feel like that only has legs as soon as they're not adopting uh, the, the technology that's better. Because I totally see that, right? If, if I would run a, a, a country right now... <laughs> Would I want to wait until Apple is ready? Like some other, like it's a US company. They they might have delays on their rollout. They might have, like they, they might decide, hey, you know what? We do a, a stage release on iOS 13.5. Do I want to expose my population for another, let's say two or three weeks without having something that sort of works at least on Android pretty well on iOS about even 10, 20%. I, I would probably also say, all right, let's build something that works right now yeah, and then yeah. can migrate to do the better thing as soon as it's available. That's what I, because who knows, yeah. right? Maybe Apple's like, you know, we can release it for a month. And all of a sudden, there are actual people that potentially got sick that didn't need to, that mm-hmm. were carried into places it wasn't 
needing to because we do have like technology wise that we have a system of of kind of at least uh seeing what kind of people you've been in touch with and i think that is that that should be the goal and i don't understand why it isn't but i also understand why you might be like i don't want to make my entire healthcare pl- or my entire emergency response plan dependent on apple yeah no i think it's really good like i i, I don't see why you shouldn't if you have another solution that you can use at the moment that's fine. Like save as many people as early as you can rather than waiting for another company. But it also um, kind of gets interesting into this kind of discussion about if you have a country like <laughs> Australia, uh-huh. you voted for a government f- in order to represent your opinions mm-hmm. uh, in, 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 in the government, right? Yeah, so that's, people, to be how people could elect a government that is totally in favor of collecting everyone's data to then do whatever they want with it, including helping you with healthcare, but also give you some, I don't know, uh, they also record your your microphone to give you some etiquette <laughs> advice. You know, you could elect a government that wants that. Should we, I mean, obviously that's an extreme and strange example, but should Apple then even be allowed to to prohibit that? You know, why should a another a what company that was built in another country with other rules and other, mm-hmm. other. Um, but well, Apple isn't prohibiting a country. In, uh, no, they're mean, not prohibiting Australia. To Apple roll definitely out, didn't want to give access to full Bluetooth capability in the background for those apps, right? Okay, yeah, yeah. But it's an interesting debate, right? Shouldn't if you if your country of twenty million Australians all elect a government that is hundred percent for background recording at all times without any batch? Mm-hmm. Should Apple really be allowed to say no? We don't want that, and it also depends, right? Because Apple does. I mean, this kind of gets off track I mean, a bit, yeah. but like in in China, for example. Um, the Chinese government said, you know what, iCloud, we want it to be hosted in China. And Apple's like, yeah, China's a big enough market. Okay. Well, in Australia, they're like, well, maybe here we can battle that a bit. <laughs> and it's not like they're but not I, battling it at home either, yeah. right? When the FBI wanted access to phones. It's just interesting that we're now in a, in a place where where private companies can make, they're so fundamental parts of our lives where their policies might conflict with the with the local legislation mm-hmm. of the countries they're operating in, including the, their own. And it's hard, right? Who who has the upper hand and who's supposed who's supposed to make the final decisions on those kind of rulings? Should it be Apple? Should it be the, the country? Mm-hmm. It it is it is tricky. So I'm not discounting it being a tricky situation. Mm-hmm. But it yeah, kinda, it's actually a good one. A good ethical question. Mm-hmm. Um, because realistically, if you voted for those people and your country all agrees, like if they had like a, a yeah, free majority, have, yeah, or even if you would have a public vote um, like yeah. today and ask Australians, what do you think? Should we get Apple to change their like to allow us to use Bluetooth in the background all the time or not? And everyone voted yes. There's no guarantee that Apple will do that mm. because it's it's its own entity. Mm. So. Um, <laughs> But it's it's an interesting ethical question. I don't think we will come to any conclusion. <laughs> yeah, it it is a sign of the times, though, how much influence these private American or yeah, public companies, but <laughs> these American multinational corporations mm-hmm. have mm-hmm. over the control of our lives and the, and this like stopping the spread of this virus. They can actually play a big part, and that's mm-hmm. kind of yeah. It's interesting and it's a bit scary, but it's also weird that uh, a lot of the the consensus I've seen is that people trust the Apple Google solution more than they trust the mm-hmm. um uh, like their own government solution mm. as yeah. well. And yeah. I mean the probability of the... Apple's and Google's 
to work is way higher yeah. just because they have a really good understanding of their of the APIs, of their system limitations, of their hardware. Mm-hmm. You know, even Apple is probably... I, I, I don't know anything, but I would be surprised if Apple doesn't have specific overrides in, in what they consider a contact based on the the Bluetooth chip in the device. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's probably an iPhone 6s where the Bluetooth chip works slightly different from an iPhone yep. 11 Pro. And Apple would be the company that was able or would be able to say, you know what, if we're running on this particular Broadcom Bluetooth chip, then consider like filter out some of the the readings because mm-hmm. we know they're flakier than on other mm. devices. But I think that's why it makes sense why people would trust a company like Apple or Google more than potentially their government in this situation. Because from a technical point, I think Apple and Google have more of an upper hand in this, mm. and they understand it better. But it's not um, about upper hand either, that- right? It's just about. In general, with this, you want the people most qualified yeah. to solve the problem, yeah. as with almost anything. And I think that's why, I mean, you can also see that within the government and within, um, like, the way that the different governments respond. Every, like, all governments in all different countries have um, health correspondents that are helping them out at the moment. They're not making decisions by themselves in silo. They always get consultants uh, to actually talk about it from, like, a health field, right? So it's it's not. I think I think you might need something like that for technology as well. If you want to bring in technology, I mean, there are the people. It's just still Apple is more qualified in in tech than yeah. some random tech consultant. Yeah, but I think I think that's to get back to your question, Kai, about whether or not the government, like who should who should have the decision, whether or not it should be the government that the country that the people in the country voted for, or if it should be like the tech company at the same time i think people decide to apple and google are in the position they are right now because people have decided that those are the companies that they do trust with um as as their personal phone like as their personal computer device right mm-hmm. so i think they're very, they're just very different entities and it makes sense that you would sort of trust different ones in different ways mm-hmm. um so i i don't know if you can really uh, I don't think you can you can draw it to like one entity that should decide everything. Um like to to just to get back to like what you were saying on like who is ethically yeah, right with this. I think they have to uh, they have to work on this together because people yeah, people trust it, them for different things. If you again draw this into an extreme, right? You can't say I bought this gun and <laughs> the gun maker of this gun should decide how my gun is used. Because I trust this gun maker to make the right policy. So who cares about Australia or Canada, what they their local laws say? If the gun maker says this is a gun made for robbing robbing <laughs> supermarkets and banks, you're not going to be like, look, <laughs> you know, it's 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 obviously Yeah, yeah, but there's always a balance that had to be struck there and I think Yeah, but it's definitely that that a government should have make laws for the countries that we're living in. Yeah, yeah. Which is not, why it's great when they entities. can. But that's why I think I think it would be great if all government have the type of insight that apparently Germany seem to have into the tech industry or have the advice that they're I having. I mean, they accidentally listen to the right people. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to give too much there either. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just, I think those are two debates, right? I think from a technical perspective in this particular case, use Apple's APIs as soon as they're available. They seem to to do the right thing they they've thought about it they've thought about it longer than we've been aware of the the virus because they plan to use it for other things right yeah and apple is pretty trustworthy in general with 
uh, those kind of privacy um, preserving systems and anyways yeah and they they have a better understanding of their hardware than anyone else and in this case apple is actually aligned with all the local governments yeah right? they I don't think the actually have different intentions it's not like yeah. apple saying you know what contact tracing we don't believe in yeah. it they're they're i think this discussion <laughs> other ceos for other companies are in charge of not believing uh <laughs> covid19 exists but yeah i think this discussion would be very different if it was let's say facebook who made an api for this and it was a matter of whether or not you should use what the government want or what or facebook apple would wants. just say look we, we we don't want to do anything you know it's like screw you yeah. Then, then we would have this discussion where I think the local government should have some kind of way of accessing those things because if they decide, yeah, if that, Apple didn't have that API, I would argue that there should be an exemption or a special yeah. entitlement that Apple could mm-hmm. give to yeah. apps for this exactly. functionality. Mm-hmm. But, but since Apple have said, "Look, there's no special entitlement. If you want to use this functionality, we have APIs that are coming out." I that think you there's can still an entitlement use. you need. I don't think anyone can use that. I still think... For, no, sorry, for the, yeah, yeah, that is right. They will need to grant the entitlement, but they will give you the entitlement exactly. if you're mm-hmm. a government organization building mm-hmm. this app. It's uh, it's a matter of there is a way to do it mm-hmm. um, as, opposed, as opposed to like an entitlement that just lets you go nuts with Bluetooth. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. This I is think, a controlled way. But yeah. yeah, but I mean, that's one thing you could be criticizing Apple on in this time because... If the government of Australia wanted to have more access to the Bluetooth before this SDK is available, or before the API is available, then maybe they should have been granted that. Um, if that is, like, if the argument on 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 the government side is that they will get more uh, protect the people in the country better. But so, again, there's is that even possible? Is there an entitlement right now that allows for bl- full Bluetooth access? Maybe there isn't. And if there isn't, rather build the one that properly works. Than yeah, trying to build having a like new a middle way workaround. That that why would you simultaneously build the one that works well and the one that's potentially flaky? Mm-hmm. And you might not even release the flaky one before the proper one. Mm. So it's you know mm-hmm. it's it sounds like a lot of the efforts at Apple were around getting the code that was supposed to ship later into a build rather than you know yep. than than building a brand new entitlement for for full Bluetooth access in the background. So in in this particular case, I don't think there is actually much of a sensible discussion. People should use Apple's and Google's APIs as soon as they're as they're available, mm-hmm. and do whatever they can in the meanwhile. Also, yeah, as we we're talking about it, um, Alberta is actually the first province in Canada that released a contact tracing application uh, just two hours ago. Really, uh, called AB Tracing Together, and um, they seem to be based on the Open Trace. Uh, initiative that is um, so it's based on an open source implementation of a contact tracing that's very similar to the um, just super super briefly skimming this here it seems to kind of use a similar concept to what Apple and Google propose um, with uh, rotating 15 minutes identifiers and those kind of things mm-hmm. um, and they're they're their plan is like the open trace is planning on moving to uh, the Apple and Google APIs as soon as they're available. So that seems mm-hmm. to be exactly their 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 approach. Do yeah, yeah. do whatever do they can now. right now on iOS. Yeah. It's they're they're even saying on iOS it needs to be running in the foreground. Otherwise, it's kind of flaky mm-hmm. on Android. It's fairly reliable, and that as soon as Apple shifts their stuff, that will be a lot more. Uh, yeah, I think that seems useful. like a very sensible way of doing it. Yeah. So yeah. 
and then so i hope i hope that's what's happening in australia as well like maybe now when apple is rolling it out they are quickly adapting it but i guess we just had to wait and see yeah hopefully who knows but you don't seem very optimistic about it. Um, yeah, I don't know. This government has promised things related to IT. I, I categorize this as a general IT project before that never happens. Um, I know that <laughs> past examples aren't always good to go off and things are unprecedented in this pandemic, but there hasn't been any more information come out in a week um, mm. other than that one comment by an MP. So, we'll see. I would like... I would. Uh, run the app if if it moved to that model and didn't require personal information. Yeah, I am less opposed to giving personal information if the app just works out of the box. <laughs> like, yeah. I'll do it. I'll reluctantly do it, but I think it is genuinely in everyone's best interest. Um, yeah. But I would rather a solution that is genuinely private and um, also works on yeah. iOS because right now, like, I'm not going anywhere, so the app would be useless in my family. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, do we know when yeah, Apple's APIs are supposed to be available? No. Um, no, I'm not sure. I imagine they're going to move faster. Isn't this in the upcoming beta already? Yeah, it's in a beta. Yeah. They were going to make an announcement well, today on Friday. Um, I think it was. That's Saturday here, but whatever. Um, <laughs> talking American time. Uh, they were going to make an announcement with Google about it uh, and more information, but that hasn't happened and it was pushed back to next week. So maybe we'll find out an exact date. I would hope within a fortnight. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I assume they have to move fast with something like this. Um, hmm. Yeah. And 13.5, you also can opt into, or you, you it's actually opt in by default, right? Yeah. So it's opt out. So it seems, um, yeah. For just a system feature of, yeah. of mm-hmm. exposure notifications. But at the moment, you need a third-party app for that to work. But yeah. eventually, Apple are going to build it into the system, right? I thought 13.5 no, so is like, already there. Yeah, so 13.5 sure? seem to already have it running uh, on the system. Uh, and it's on by default in the, beta, in the current beta. Um, uh, I read that it was an option, but it wouldn't work without third-party apps yet. Yeah, no, no. So it's there and it's doing stuff, but like it's not accessible if you don't have a third-party app as i understand it okay. like it's a, nof- nothing is happening with it yeah nothing is ha- yeah it's okay. not actually functional until you have a third-party app but yeah. I, okay. I i did read that it will be like apple will put in their own solution mm-hmm. later this year though mm. um, okay hopefully that's right i yeah don't mm. quote me on that <laughs> um. This will be our um, our tweet uh, tweet part, the, the video clip that I'm tweeting about. Your, your one quote. Great. Thanks, Marlon. <laughs> yeah, Appreciate it. <laughs> um, um, all right. Shall we move on to something a little bit more fun? Even sure. more fun than government and... and <laughs> government regulations and pandemics. Mm. Wasn't this oh, what, what everyone tuned in for? Fun? What are we talking about? Taxes and... and uh, Withholding tax? No, wow. I don't want to talk about <laughs> what that. What a boring <laughs> thing you could come up with also tax related. Guess what I did today. Uh, wow. Um, yeah, no, no, we don't need to talk about this now. <laughs> um, Kai wanted to talk about something. Uh, well, I asked Kai a question earlier this week. He said, don't let me, like, don't bring that up now because I want to talk about it on the show. So, uh, I get you to introduce this topic, Kai. Thanks for throwing me under the bus. It's, it's not a big deal. It's more, I was wondering for, for both of you, if Apple would release right now a ARM iPad notebook and an ARM MacBook, which one would you find more interesting and why? 
What do you mean by iPad notebook? So let's yeah, assume, let's assume like if we're looking at the current situation with the with the iPad, uh, iPad Pro in particular, and the Magic Keyboard, right? It's a bit of a silly setup where you put all the weight in the back of the device because that's where the device is, right? Mm-hmm. So th- most of the weight has to be in the iPad because mm-hmm. that's where the computer is, mm-hmm. and then in order for it to not fall over and to not uh, tip when you're like touching it at all uh they have to counterbalance that weight right Mm -hmm. so they have to make a really 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 heavy keyboard which probably for the main purpose Mm -hmm. of it not falling over yeah and And the thing is that they limit the angles that you put it in because of um because otherwise it will fall so this it is no doubt kind of cool accessory and cool setup but it's a bit of a frankenstein monster type of setup as far as that's a bit offensive considering how nicely designed this ipad stand is (laughs) you build a monster that can actually walk around (laughs) um it's it it does it it looks nice but it's definitely a a problem that was designed a solution that was designed for a problem that didn't need to exist (laughs) in a a way right okay so what you're proposing is an ipad so it's basically ipad os in a macbook pro in a macbook pro format in a chassis yeah so we we have all the benefits of a notebook mm-hmm. so it and has, you can't take the keyboard off it's uh, just like one piece sure yeah so it is it is like a like a like the macbook without the uh suffix that we used to have like super slim no fan probably considering that it's properly designed to be a notebook at that point right mm-hmm. all the weight would be where the keyboard is the, the display would be very thin it would still be touchscreen because that it's still an ipad mm, the camera still would be at the top center yep. right on the left yeah so it would be the, an ipad designed to be run in this kind of configuration without mm-hmm. all the trade-offs that you have to make in in return you also lose some of the benefits like detaching it and those kind of things apple could do something where it's flipping around for you to still quite easily being able to do like um, pencil input and those kind mm-hmm. of things let's assume pencil input is still possible but you always have the the keyboard attached to it in one way and or another trackpad. and trackpad yep mm-hmm. and battery life uh, considering that it's a different form factor and you don't have to waste all this weight on just not make it tip over but instead you can use the weight either in in order to increase battery life or to actually reduce the weight but let's just assume it has like 15 hours of battery life or something like that mm-hmm. Um, so that would be the iPad notebook or an ARM MacBook. So that would be a MacBook that runs Mac OS X, um, but running ARM. Also mm-hmm. in the same, the, the device looks the same, but it would run Mac OS. And it has some of the trade-offs that an ARM MacBook has. So mm-hmm. a lot of stuff that's not been compiled for ARM wouldn't work properly or would work really slowly because it has to be emulated if that's impossible. But otherwise, it's it's running macOS. So which of those two devices would you find more interesting at this point? Um, would this be the only device I can use? Or is this just one in addition to what I have? Let's say you have a desktop at home and you want something portable as well. Hmm. <laughs> you hate both? <laughs> <laughs> They're no. very unappealing. <laughs> really? No, I'm intrigued of both from for both of them. Like, honestly, we've been talking about potentially getting an iPad. All right, um, let's flip this around. Which one do you think Apple's more likely to release? Okay, that's a good question. Uh, no, this is a hard question though. <laughs> I feel like like I, I I want like two months ago I would probably have said the ARM um MacBook. 
But now I feel like, considering where the iPad is, the direction that the iPad is moving in and the direction it's going in with the ca- with the stand and the keyboard, uh, sorry, the mouse input, the cursor, um, I feel like this might be the ARM Mac that we've been waiting for. Like, not really waiting, but the ARM Mac that we imagined, but it's actually not a Mac, it's actually an iPad. So I think that would probably be the easier way to go. What do you think, Zach? To answer both those questions, I think the ARM MacBook is more likely. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the one of the nice. I know that iOS is now being used more as a desktop OS, but I think one of the nice things about devices that run iOS is that they are more portable. They can be detached from any keyboard they might have. They can just be a slab of glass. I, I, feel, I still think that's a distinct advantage of iOS. Mm-hmm. Um, to answer the first, but I totally get what you're saying about take away the disadvantages of having to use it with a keyboard case and just make the keyboard a first-class citizen. Mm-hmm. I, I appreciate that. Um, but then from what device I would want to use, again, it's not about hardware for me. It's all about mm-hmm. the software mm-hmm. that they're running. Both of these would be pretty capable devices. I don't think either, I would have a problem with the hardware of either with the, uh, either of them. I'm sure they'd both be very nice. But I mean, it could it potentially run to- the same A14 uh, exactly. CPU and GPU suck, um, right? It's and it comes chip. down to what device I would rather... Sorry, what software but, but, I would yeah. rather use, and that is macOS, if I could only pick Despite one. Despite the potential limitations that a ARM macOS would have? Yeah, I want to be able to run... Uh, I w- yes, despite those limitations, yes. But I want to be able to build software on my little portable device. And at the moment, it's far easier on a um, Mac, on something running macOS, and I would assume pretty safely, I think, that if Apple released an ARM MacBook, you could run Xcode on the thing. Mm. See, I'm so. try- yeah, that's what I'm thinking about as well, like in terms of what tools I'm actually using. So in general, in, I, I would be intrigued uh, in the iPad option, um, but I think you'd lose a bit of the benefit of having a touchscreen if it's always attached to mm-hmm. your keyboard anyways. So I, mean, I don't could, feel like you could this kind of flip perfect. it around, right? Yeah, yeah, like, that's true. Like actually, f- literally flip it around. Like yeah. you could maybe fold it and then use use it upside down. Yeah. Um, so yeah, then I, then then that's pretty appealing. And I think if Apple would release that type of, it, it's pretty. I think many things are pointing towards Apple releasing Xcode on the iPad, uh, and I think that would be a fun thing to try out. Um, and I think it would be just a different workflow for me. And I think that's something that's intriguing to me. That said, I don't know if I would like that, but I, and, and I really do like macOS. And I think I would always go back to macOS either. Um, so, so what would happen is either I use my desktop in, in the scenario where I also have a desktop Mac, I would probably go back and use that more and maybe use the iPad for other things and other type of tasks. And I think that could work really great together. Um, so that's very appealing. But it would still require a lot of the apps that I would want to use in this iPad scenario to adopt this new way of working. So I have some apps, some design tools that I really like using, and they're very specific. Like they work in a very specific way on the iPad, and they work in a very specific way on on Mac. And I would want us to come together a bit if if I would use them on the iPad. Mm-hmm. And I think, even though, like, I feel like I see flaws with both of your scenarios here because. I would need apps to adopt to the new iPad OS style of working, but I also would need apps to adopt to um to uh to use ARM or to run on ARM. Um and I just don't 
I see it more likely that the Mac apps would be adopted because I think many of the Mac apps I'm using are Pro Tools and I think they would want to run on uh, the latest Mac hardware. Mm. Um, so I feel like my answer is inconclusive here, um, <laughs> but, but I see problems with both sides. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure Apple sees problems with both options as well. Yeah. I'm sure they've thought about an iPad notebook and they've definitely thought about an ARM MacBook, right? Yeah. And there's but, nothing saying we're not getting both. It yeah. sort of points in those in But it's direction. getting weird, right? Because we're at that point, imagine if those devices would launch at the same time, they would run the same CPU architecture they would mm-hmm. probably have the same soc in them they which means same gpu as well um it could technically be the same device that you could boot in each either operating system at some point right because at that point how about that yeah i know <laughs> but then it's also at that point we almost also need touchscreen mac os because now you have this touchscreen ipad that you can run in ipad os now do you also need to retrofit touch input on, on Mac OS? Or will that uh, only I mean, be for, isn't with really pencil? for that? I mean, could be pencil only. It's it's kind of getting weird, though. Or I it feel. just works as two different devices, right? It's like when you run the simulator through Xcode People on your Mac. People are getting, getting confused what, from using an it's iPad. It's a healthy moving. mental model. <laughs> you have to be able to switch between those two. and It keeps you young. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> But I wonder, I mean, I find the idea that that might be in that being the the device that actually does both, it's not that crazy anymore because they're so close if we would actually imagine both happening. Mm-hmm. Mm. Are you getting it? <laughs> These are not <laughs> different devices. Oh, no. <laughs> How long does it take to boot between iOS and macOS? Or do they uh, just run simultaneously? Yeah, you, you, you can run I, iPadOS on the window on yeah. your macOS. <laughs> iPadOS is just a simulation. Yeah. On the no, I, I don't know. I, I, I genuinely think that iOS is nice when it's used as a touch interface. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and to me, that's one of the advantages of it. So I had some work to do the other day that wasn't programming work. It was basically, I mean, speaking of taxes, it was accounting stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So I needed emails and I needed my the website for my accounting software and I needed to Google some stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I had the option of sitting down and, and don't get me wrong. I love my iPad. I've been using it in isolation probably twice as much, mm-hmm. if not more than I ever have before. Uh, it's a great thing that I'm using constantly now. Um, but I had to sit down in the lounge and honestly, the extra bulk of a MacBook didn't matter because I was just going to rest the thing on my lap mm-hmm. anyway. And I chose to use my MacBook because I'm more efficient. I needed mm-hmm. many tabs open. I needed to switch between them quickly. Um, I needed to do data input, like and data entry, and I needed to email. And it was like the, the window thing on, on macOS is just I'm more productive. iPad is nice for sitting down if I was like typing out some messages or mm-hmm. actually, you know, the keyboard's pretty bad on iOS. But like, <laughs> it's, it's good for like, it's still, iOS is still good for that one task. Like if I had to read an article or, or was reading a news website, it's cool for that, but mm-hmm. I mean, I want to get stuff done, and I, I, I don't want to. I'm not opposed to doing stuff on iOS, but I'm just not at a point where I find iOS easier to use than macOS when I have to do things that need. Mm. Like, I agree. More it, than one thing at a time. It always feels like I have one arm tied behind my back when yeah, I try yeah, to do. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like yeah, it's 100%. not that I can. Uh, yeah. It just feels like a bit 
bother like it just bothers me slightly all the yeah. time and when i'm getting back to my mac i feel like i can breathe again it's yeah. like i can fly yeah. but like yeah even if you look at same, my mac right now right I, mm. I have more windows open than i can count yeah. because i also did taxes <laughs> and there are like a lot of receipts and there are a lot of invoices and there are a lot of like different websites and web services and all of them are open mm. and they're kind of nicely uh nested behind each other so i can quickly tap it you know, I just have enough of the window visible that I can quickly go through them and put all the numbers together. This this the same task that took me maybe fifteen minutes on on my Mac, just after I had everything put together and found everything to put it into into the, the correct website, took me fifteen minutes. If I would do that on iOS, like swiping from one app to the other, holding somewhere to then copy it, move the thing around to get the right amount of the, the right dollar value from the invoice swip, swapping over to the website again tapping the field tapping it three more times because for some reason the paste menu didn't come up then it does paste and then i confirm that's, that so I that's the other thing copy paste how much mm-hmm. easier is copy paste on mac os than ios yeah like uh, maybe if i had a keyboard like a physical that's, keyboard yeah. attached to my ipad it and, would be and, a lot easier but i don't and yeah, but then at that point, why not use macOS? Because yeah. it's the same thing. But that's like, what I'm sorry, saying, it's, it's the like, same it, thing. It, but that's why I think it is intriguing if it's done right. Like, if you get the right software and if you get the right tooling on iPadOS, it could be a real intriguing product because you could use it in different, for, for, for slightly different tasks, but be as efficient as you would be on a Mac. Um, and that's really exciting. But I think it's a long time for that to be a thing. Um, while as macOS works really nicely today, and I but don't think the move time, to I don't think the move to ARM will have significant impact on the apps that I'm using at the moment. But the thing is, for a very long time, I felt the same way, right? iPadOS was clearly the kind of direct manipulation, touch, and then pencil device, and macOS was the the mouse and keyboard getting work done device. Um, like which which is not saying getting work done as in this is the only work that counts. It's just that type of work where you're like, all right, I want a keyboard and I want a mouse and I want to have a lot of windows open and and do something. Um, but now it seems like those kind of the the waters are kind of muddled. Like it feels like Apple now kind of says, you know what, it, iPad now is also not necessarily direct manipulation. It's one of the input modes, mm-hmm. but it's not the only one, and that is. On because I feel like they're they're definitely creeping towards like mm. using the ways that they've solved problems on macOS. They're now being applied to the iPadOS. While it was until very recently philosophically different those two platforms, but I feel like now Apple is kind of like you know what maybe maybe let's give that as an option. And it's not like sure the the, the cursor is different on on iPadOS, but it's not reinventing input it was like no we used the one we 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 know but use some of the kind of detectors that we have on the ipad for and and kind of morph your cursor nicely as a and use those kind of things but it's fundamentally the same thing you use non-direct manipulation you use your mouse or your trackpad or whatever to to navigate it and it's yeah it's it's interesting and i wonder I'm, i'm more excited than ever for for ipad OS 14 just because i'm curious i'm curious does apple mm-hmm. double down on this direction and do they say do they allow fundamentally new or do they have first party apps that might even require that kind of input or extremely mm-hmm. hiring highly encourage that type of input um like for example all the pro tool rumors like will that be p- predominantly 
non-direct manipulation apps mm-hmm. where direct manipulation is maybe a task you only do for certain things like i don't know you can scrub through your timeline and logic with your finger but mm-hmm. if you want to do a precise cut you use your trackpad kind of thing mm-hmm. I, I wonder or like yeah. to skip forward like a frame in in final cut pro like you use the left and right arrow keys to to skip one frame so you can have precise cuts and use yep. your keyboard to set the cut point rather than your 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 sausage mm-hmm. fingers yeah i think something that i've been concerned about with this introduction of um, a different touch a different input mechanism on the ipad is that app developers get pretty spread thin in what they can focus on it's like in order to make a great mac app a great io a great ipad app um that would support both of the input modes might be quite hard and it requires a lot of work for it. But if Apple would actually say, hey, you can have an app that specifically requires this input method or specifically uh, is not like an, uh, an app that is specifically not really meant to be using uh, like to, 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 to allow for touch, like that would be pretty, that would be quite different. I think if that would be the message that developers get, I think you would have a lot more apps that are a lot more specialized for those different ways of working with the iPad. And I think that could be beneficial for the quality of the apps as well, because developers know a bit more like where to put the focus and they can be realistic about what the app should do. And I think this is something that you've seen on tvOS. Right. There were many games in the beginning that came out and you were relying, the game was relying on having the um, like stupid uh, <laughs> TV, like the, the, the default TV remote. And like, you can't make a game con, like a powerful games console if the only thing you have is like a small piece of metal that you're touching. Like you need to have a more like, a, a better type of controller. And I think, uh, if you can have a game, I think now you can even have a game that specifically requires a separate controller. And if you are, mm-hmm. it, once that became available, there were so many more exciting games that could work. Uh, well, I think that more coincided with Apple Arcade forcing everyone to make Apple TV games. I don't think people were like, whoa, Apple TV is now a gaming platform. Yeah, I think but I think, I think the Apple, Apple Arcade games. That once again, Apple's really good at missing. <laughs> Using the incredibly capable devices for gaming. I mean, iOS, they couldn't fight it off, uh, you know, but all the other platforms, like even now when we're looking at like Apple kind of had a Steam VR partnership, Steam just left, you know, Mm -hmm. I think there were a grand total of three Steam VR games for macOS. It's just Apple is not very, I don't know what's going on with Apple in the games industry, but they don't work well together until Hmm. very recently with Apple Arcade. And maybe that's changing. But with Apple Arcade, you can at least say, hey, now there's Apple Arcade. And now you can, like with Apple Arcade came the introduction of you as a developer being allowed to specify the input Hmm. device. And I think that is really, like, that's a step forward. But I think if you can do something like that for the iPad, like say, hey, we are fine with you only supporting this type of input mechanism or that type of input mechanism that could make better apps. But then again, Catalyst, coming back to <laughs> iPad and macOS, right? Yeah. Maybe that also makes it way more capable as a cross, cross-platform macOS and iPadOS uh, development tool. Because if you're actually saying, look, we're like non-direct manipulation, what is indirect manipulation? What is the opposite in I call it indirect manipulation until either of you correct me and tell me better. Yeah, no, indirect is correct, I believe. Um, For iPadOS, all of a sudden you can, the probability of getting, you know, Catalyst apps on macros being more usable and more input friendly might also increase. So we might actually get Catalyst apps that work more... 
are more user friendly on macOS, even if if iPadOS was their base um, <laughs> system. Yeah, but again, that's not uh, that's not what we want. <laughs> like that, we 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 would like something that is more special. But imagine so, like, that, I don't know where I'm going with this, but but like, imagine your your ARM iPad macOS hybrid device that can run either. A Catalyst app can run on on both uh, interface options. Mm -hmm. If you run macOS on it, it can run your Catalyst app. If you run it on iPadOS, it can can run your Catalyst app. That sort of goes against what I was suggesting. (laughs) (laughs) Right? That goes against the uniqueness of different input mechanisms, right? Sure, but I mean, certain parts will overlap. They do now with like all the all the magic keyboard stuff and in general trackpad support and bluetooth keyboard support either okay, way what do you think about this sorry i'm just i just one one more thing uh what do you think about we we sort of been playing with the idea that you should be able to you would be able to boot into in this like magical device that we dreamed that up sounds of. very much like a thing microsoft would do and not apple by the way you you don't oh uh, yeah yeah you know yeah. it doesn't sound like an apple thing where it's like hey boot into whatever system and yeah but it seems let, messy. Let's just go I don't with think it. this will. Like, I feel like it's more likely that they have two separate devices. But let's say it's one device. What do you think about the idea that as soon as it's docked and has a keyboard attached to it, it is macOS? As soon as you <laughs> detach it, it's iPadOS. And the same apps work because they're built with Catalyst. It's, yeah, you had just another layer of complexity and confusion at that point. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Again, doesn't I mean, sound you like could, an Apple you could system. Take this concept. Uh, sort of at, at its principle of the interface becomes more touch friendly, however that looks mm-hmm. uh, when yep. it's docked and more desktop like when it's undocked. Um, yep. Or the reverse. Uh, yes, the, the reverse. Yes, sorry. <laughs> uh, you know what I meant. Um, Unless you more, want yes. to make life more More touch friendly when undocked, more desktop friendly when docked. Yep. Yes. Um, yeah, I get like. Uh, yeah, I, I guess like, I would almost <laughs> expect them to do something like that. Uh, I don't know. I don't think changing the whole OS would be um, the solution. But yeah, you you would. It's kind of like iOS adapts when you have a keyboard now, and obviously mm-hmm. it does in a very minimal way. Of mm-hmm. keyboard doesn't show, text doesn't take up the full screen. Keyboard shortcuts work. Um, those kind of little things, but you could probably take that further of more things happen and, mm. you know, your your applications folder turns into the home screen and things like that when you undock. So, I don't know. You could probably take that concept further. But, mm. yeah, I don't know if they would uh, automatically swap out they definitely iOS won't, macOS. Just because it's like no. your, your iOS Lose all your work. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying you should. I'm just saying... Um, no, it's a nice a... hypothetical. I get, I get yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, but it's like you run Audio Hijack, uh, you unplug it, you unattach, you de-dock, de-detach, detach, that's detach, the word I was... Yeah. You detach the dock and all of a sudden, like, that app just doesn't exist on iOS. So, like, do you force quit it? <laughs> you know, it just, that will not work. It has to be a deliberate action yeah. to, to like, for that to be feasible at all on the same device. It needs to be, if at all, which is unlikely, maybe as a developer option, right? A dev- developer option for this maybe makes a bit more sense, but even that's tricky. Uh, either way... It needs to be deliberate. It won't will not happen automatically unless we will not have most like unless the macOS that runs on ARM is severely different from what it is today. Let's say like Apple doesn't allow apps 
to do the same thing that macOS apps can do today. Like you can have an Xcode and you can have Windows, but if it tries to directly do things outside of the audio APIs and try to kind of control your audio flow, they will not allow that on our macOS. You know, maybe then I, I just don't, that, that, that makes no sense. Dismissed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, shall we move on to our new segment called Hat Tip? <laughs> <laughs> that showed up here without my knowledge. What is this? <laughs> I just I, I know I couldn't pick it, but I, I just um Mac Tracker is an app on that I use on macOS and iOS, mostly on macOS, that I have open almost all the time. Uh that just shows kind of like basically history of all Apple products that they've ever made. Mm-hmm. And it hasn't been updated for a very long time and I was kind of worried that it would no longer get updates because it didn't have any of the new iPhones in there, like the 11 Pro uh, generation. It didn't have the new iMacs in there. It didn't have the new... Basically, it wasn't updated for for almost a year or so with like new devices. So I was a bit worried that it would go, go away and kind of just be abandoned because it is super useful because it has like all the information about old Macs. It has like the initial purchase prices and even like the current resale values and those kind of things. Uh, you can super quickly look into what GPU did this uh, device ship with? When was the iPhone 8 released? What ARM uh, A, what processor did they ship it with? Uh, what generation of the A processor? Um, and it's super useful. And I was worried that it was abandoned and it got two updates this week. Uh, one to add a whole bunch of new devices and then one to kind of add uh, a bunch of new options, which I thought was really exciting. And I was very happy to see that it's still being being updated or that it is being updated again, at least. Hmm. Um, yeah, I'm, so it's just, the type of app I'm surprised it doesn't have a sort of remote config type thing to mm-hmm, update mm-hmm. apps mm-hmm. without a software update. I, I get it from a dev perspective. Like, I, I imagine this is just a hobby project and you don't want the overhead of running servers. The app always works mm-hmm. reliably yeah. offline. Like, I, I totally get the advantages of doing it this way, but it does always surprise me every time an update comes in for Mac Tracker mm. and it's like, oh, added devices. It's like, oh, cool. Oh, mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's Canadian app, so got to say that. Um, yeah. I don't know why this is always something we're saying. As soon as we have any association with a country, we have to mention <laughs> well, what gotta, it's Got to point that out. Hmm. Um, but I'm just going to say devs from all, all around the world. Yeah. <laughs> Apart from the countries it's, we haven't you know, We want to highlight that not everything is made <laughs> in America. Um, two features that I would like is one being able to update the database uh, somehow without recurring app update. And the second one, which is an even bigger one, is I want to give the money. I would like to give Ian some money for for this software that I've been using for I don't even remember how many years. Is it just completely free now? It's completely free. Hmm. And I've used it for, I don't even, I can't tell, maybe since the iPhone 4, maybe before that. I don't know, for forever, as long as I can remember looking up things about uh, Apple devices, I've used Mac Tracker, and I mean it's in version seven point nine point one, so it's definitely the version number uh, uh, is is high enough that that my memory seems to be somewhat accurate, um, and it's great. I I would just love to be able to to throw money at this person, and I have not found a way of doing so. So yeah, my number one feature request is add monetization, mm. please. Mm. Cool. So that was the hat tip segment that I just uh, added because I couldn't pick it. Should we move on to things of the week? Sure, let's do it. Um, who wants to s- get started? Who wants to start? 
You're first in the list, Marlon. So. All right, I'll start. <laughs> um, so my pick this week is a website called uh, HTTP Status Codes. And I think this is a really good website. Uh, just to explain it, it's like if you, if you are making any type of uh, APIs and you want to make sure that you're a good citizen and use the right um, HTTP status codes um, as a response to your API calls, um, this is a really neat website that you can use as a reference um, when you when you want to look up what different status code means um, so that you use the right ones. Um, so, for example... Which uh, is surprisingly rarely used. Like, I, it's so many web mm. services to just always return 200 OK, error true, and then some error payload. It is so annoying. Mm-hmm. It's so much nicer to actually use your status codes. Yeah, yeah like, we have a system for this. Let's just... <laughs> all agree to using it. And I think it's really good. But I don't think uh, many people... I mean, you're very impressive if you can remember all of them on top of your head. But I think most people don't just remember the status codes. Um, Especially the rarer ones. Sometimes, yeah. even even sometimes some of the more more common ones, I often get um, 403 and 401. Four? No, 401 and 403 confused mm-hmm. because one is unauthorized, oh, one is forbidden. Yeah. And For the record, what 401 is unauthorized, 403 is forbidden. That's what I said. Yeah, no, but you said you always get them confused, so I just want to help people. <laughs> um, well, it's just um, those those kind of things. It's just nice to 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 look up and have a reference to what they are. And <laughs> I don't know why I get them confused all the time. Like one is just you don't have you don't have your authorization included in your header or wherever you authorize, and the other one is you are. Or, like forbidden for three would be you are authorized, but you're not having you're not allowed access to this particular resource. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know why I get them confused. And maybe talking about it on the show helped me to never get them confused again. But uh, if if you happen to be confused or you're just interested, because I think some of them also like. Are you picking my pick? <laughs> yeah, I'm 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 boosting your pick. Yeah. Um, some of them are also just fun. I, I think there are a lot of fun fun codes that uh, people might. Yeah, not there know are many about. here that are like really useful if you would use them correctly, and you mm. might not be aware of them. Um, and then you can even see some details about uh, like when you should when you should use it. Mm. Um, so it's it's really helpful. Um, I really hope it. we never have to use 451 unavailable for legal reasons i don't even know what that would mean but i definitely do not want to run into that how about 418 i'm a teapot (laughs) is that a thing yeah any attempt to brew coffee with a teapot should result in an error code 418 i'm a teapot the resulting entity body may be short and stout Fun in facts. general, Today I, I want to say that this is a pretty serious website. Apart from apart from this one, no, this is actually in the IETF. <laughs> is it yeah. actually? Yeah. So this is not. This just- is the this is the RFC two three two four section two three two. Does actually the well formal inspect. documents? It has numbers. Yeah, and it even has like a coffee URI scheme attached to it in in um in section three where uh yeah I do not probably have to read the whole thing. But yes, it is a real spec. Interesting. So yeah, this is a real thing. Um, hmm. hmm. Haven't seen, haven't come across that one. So now we all know that one is available, and we can start using it. Uh, but in general, there are many many obscure um, HTTP status codes that can be useful. So uh, this is a great sort of cheat sheet to use, um, so that you can actually 
make sure that you're using the right one. Mm. Yeah. Um, also, uh, <laughs> when when I get to my pick, you might see that we worked on um, subscription a lot. And I actually think that it was really fun. Like I, I yeah, there's a I bit really of a theme going on with your picks this week. Yeah, yeah, I wonder. <laughs> yeah. So my pick this week is Engrok, which is um, a way of tunneling your requests. So what what might frequently happen? I, I run through a scenario <laughs> is that you work on some backend stuff on your local machine, right? And you you work on that, and you as long as you can try it locally, everything is fine. But then for especially iOS developers, you might often want to try it from a device. But your device might not be able to connect to your local host because it's on a different uh, device unless you run it in a simulator. But your real device might not have access to that. Or let's say you work on code like we did for server-to-server notifications with Apple. Mm -hmm. And you might want to be able to to try try those out, right? Mm -hmm. And you don't want to deploy a server just for Apple to then send you a request and then you notice that you're parsing all the information incorrectly. So what you can use is ngrok and just... um, pipe your local environment into the internet and then give that URL to your iOS app or to Apple. And then uh, they will call the Angrok URL, which then essentially forwards it to your local environment, which then pushes it back to Angrok and then actually responds to it. So you can kind of temporarily bring your local development environment... uh, uh, To the internet. To the internet and Mm. available from the internet. And to have a really nice web interface, uh, which is new since the last time I've (laughs) used it. This is really helpful. Yeah, Um, so they basically record all all the calls that come in through your Angrok connection. mm, So, 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 can I I say what I've been using this? (laughs) I'm excited. Um, I was going to pick this as well. Um, So, I think, I think we're we're definitely a bit in a work mode at the moment. Um, But what I've been doing with this is that I've been testing my in-app purchases and I really like to continue writing code and test very frequently rather than just like, writing the whole functionality and then hoping that it works because usually I need to make some tweaks uh, as I go. So what you can do here is to actually get um, all of the, all of the hits to the, um, to your local host. So you can see all of the requests coming through and you can also get the payload. So you can get the summary of everything and then you can replay this request. So you can actually, so in Apple's case, you can get a, you can capture a receipt validation call. Um, and then you will be, or you can capture a server to server notification for a subscription renewal. Um, and then you can replay that. So if you make some changes to your local environment, you can redeploy that locally and then you can replay it and check, check if you're parsing this data correctly. And you can actually, rather than having to continue changing your subscriptions or continue re- like going back and renewing subscriptions, you can just continue sending the same uh, payload as Apple is sending. Or if you're lazy and you, you or if you don't think Apple's uh documentation is sufficient it also is just a nice starting point to just capture one of apple's actual requests yeah. and then use that one as your baseline for implementation rather than um going through documentation i i often just like to just give me the payload just give me some example payload and then i'll work with that and that's that allows you to do that very very easily because you just literally get the request and you can then look at it and replay it until you get it all working the way you want mm. super useful mm. And free, and free if you're happy to not have a fixed domain. So if you're happy to just get a random uh, string as your domain every time. So which means if if you're, I don't know, if you're 
testing it, you might have to every day generate a new, uh, like start a tunnel again, mm. and then you have a new URL, so you have to change it in your build scheme or wherever you, you point to it. Um, if you're happy to, uh, like if it's, if it's a tool that you use every day, um, it might and, be worth and it is a, a significant part of your workflow. It's only five dollars a month. Or even you, if you have a bigger team working on things together, and you want other people to point to your machine, like and you not might tell them every day, yeah. "Hey, this is the new Angular URL." Um, it's just, it's totally. Uh, I do not see how someone who would use this frequently wouldn't make the five dollars back per month. Hmm. Yeah, it's great. And also, um, because we worked on this a lot, I actually really like Apple's... Uh, I, I really like it too. I don't know what people are complaining about. <laughs> I really like the server-to-server -server notifications. So this mm. is... If you haven't used it with subscriptions before, this is a way for... Uh, to get up-to-date information from Apple as soon as some subscription status is changing. So if... I, uh, so, for example, if someone is trying to, um, if someone is manually renewing a subscription, you will get a notification about that. If someone or is changing the type of uh, subscription plan they're having, you get a notification. And if something goes wrong and like they can't charge the user's account, you will get a notification about that as well. And then you can maybe um, send a notification, like an in-app notification to a user to say, hey, or an email. wrong or an email or, um, I don't know, uh, posters. <laughs> Um, sure. Yeah. Um, Express mail. But also, if someone would uh, call Apple, like call Apple support and terminate your your subscription, uh, Apple even gives you a reason. Like they give you a termination reason or cancellation reason, which is either, I think there are only two options. One is there was a technical problem and they want to terminate it or uh, it was an accidental purchase. So you can even get some information about why something was canceled. So I, I actually think this is this really neat. Hmm. Uh, very neat of a... I mean, maybe we run into other issues down the road, but so far everything just works nicely. And yeah, yeah. Like, keep in mind, we're not done implementing this. So who knows? Maybe we complain a lot next month, next week. But so far, I really... I really think this is working smoothly. Mm. Hmm. Have you had any bad experiences with this? Um, I haven't worked on it directly. But having been involved in projects that use it, I have heard of the many headaches it causes. It could just be a case of teams not talking mm. properly between. Yeah, we we were talking about this amongst the two of us, and we were saying that if this would be, if you would add uh, subscriptions or um, like receipt validation or anything like this in your in your app, and you have like a team where it's like multiple people, some people working on the back end, some people working on the iOS app or the Mac app, I think there's so much coordination that you need to do yeah. between the teams. And that's probably um, that's probably why it's a lot better for you and a better experience than... Um, yeah. yeah, but it's it good. I'm glad it's working well for you because I'll probably um, need some help with these things eventually. <laughs> eventually. <But> also, <laughs> I th yeah, I think this is a good benchmark for how good your team communication is. <laughs> And the answer is bad, very badly. <laughs> no, but I, I do think because this really, you know, you have to have a good understanding of the backend infrastructure. You have to have a good understanding of what the app does with it and how all of this works together and you potentially chain it together, right? The Apple server talks to your server, your server then sends a push notification, maybe a silent one to the device. Your device then actions that in one way or another to maybe, let's say someone is asking for cancellations through Apple support. Now Apple sends 
your backend server a notification that there was a cancellation, you might not want to send a silent, like a content available push notification to your device to 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 say, all right, this account has been canceled and you no longer want to give you them that user premium benefits directly, right? Because you, you got a notification. So there's so much coordination for all of those things to work or even like the reverse case, right? Someone signs up to it and let's say your server was briefly down um, or I don't know, like the... the purchase ha worked for like let's say your user buys an, a subscription the connection to apple worked for some reason and the purchase went through and the user was charged but for some reason then when you then try to uh, communicate with your server there's some kind of communication issue briefly that is always a bit awkward because the recovery scenario isn't great what apple does with the server to server notifications is they send you one if you're not again their mind's pick comes in if you send them a 200 message as a i mean response, i didn't have to look up what a 200 no, means but, but there were other error codes <laughs> that came into use but if you send a 200 back you're acknowledging that you've processed this so let's say there is a new new subscription that Apple sends you, you're saying, all right, I, I got it. I attach it to whatever user. We're good. Move on. You send a 200 back and everything's fine. If you're sending a f something in the 400 or 500 uh, um, range for the status code, what Apple will actually do is retry it again. So they will try it again in in a certain amount of minutes and then tries it again like after an hour or whatever. I don't know what Apple's intervals are. So if you have intermittent issues with your server or let's say you have like a brief downtime, but you have enough volume, like let's say you're actually just doing a security update or something on your server, but you have um, a certain amount of downtime for that, you at least get another chance to to correctly, correctly uh, set the state because Apple's server notification will let you know and i think that's that's really neat mm. and it's a great way of avoiding like what what usually people would have to do and pull it all the time and just hit a very far receipt endpoint over and over because you don't want to accidentally be in the wrong state and this just kind of makes that a lot easier mm. and the other thing is the sandbox environment is also nice because one year is considered one hour in all other intervals, uh, fractions of that. So uh, let's say yeah, this is one Apple's. month would be five minutes. That's Apple's, yeah, Apple's uh, Apple subscription sandbox. sandbox. So it's also a really nice way of testing those things. Mm -hmm. You know, otherwise it's quite hard to try a one-year uh, auto-renewing subscription. But an hour is manageable. And I mean, if you put it down to a month every five minutes, it's mm -hmm. manageable as well. So I, I think even that is, I mean, some people seem to really have issues with it. So far, of our experience has been incredibly nice and it's super fun because you get to touch so many different parts right you built a client and you built a server and you built a server to server communication and yeah. then you sent notifications and when all yeah, of that, i love seeing it all just work together and it feels it feels magic <laughs> yeah yeah very nice cool so i guess mon and my pick combined is status codes uh, <laughs> uh tunneling no, nice. it's good and it's good apple to server to server notifications oh. Yeah, yeah, I'm dreading having to build subscriptions. So, um, yeah, it's good to be so much fun. I think first. you'll enjoy it. Okay, Especially when you're all in charge of it, when you don't yeah. have to knock and knock uh, or tap on someone's shoulder and be like, hey, have you implemented this? And then they mm -hmm. start complaining about that there's a sandbox, sandbox and a production. 
I, oh, I think. yeah, yeah. I also love reading Apple's documentation about this because it's clearly that so many people got it wrong. Like, I'm not laughing at people getting it wrong. I'm just laughing at Apple's approach to fixing mm. this. Uh, there's so many, like, you know how if you read Apple's documentation, they have like a, like a deprecation warning box or some type of warning box of what you should do. And like, there's so many of those boxes that like, make sure that you don't send a receipt to the client. Make sure that you're like validating your receipt with Apple or like make sure that you are by default hitting production and then defaulting into sandbox environment. Like all those things that are just clear warnings that they put there because it was something that caused problems in the first place. Mm. I like that they're clarifying those things. And overall, I think that Apple's documentation on all those things is very clear. Like mm. There is a lot of documentations because this is a critical part of anyone's system and you want to make sure that you can do it right. So if mm. Apple provides a way of doing it, I think that's the best way of implementing this. Mm. Mm. What's your pick, Zach? Nothing to do with uh, servers and <laughs> backends and things like that. Um, it's an app, an iOS app called Fitbod, um, which oh, I've okay. been using for mm. working out at home. Um, it's got a good, a good variety of exercises. I've tried a lot of the workout at home apps. I've got a million of them in my app store purchase history. Um, Fitbod is one that's actually been sticking over the last, uh, pretty much since I to like six weeks now, yeah, since, since mm-hmm. this all started. Um, <laughs> it's It's got a few things that's nice about it. So, at the moment, they've made their body weight only exercises free, which is really good in a lot of cases at home. Um, but one of the, if you don't just want to do body weight exercises, um, then the way that the app is structured, it's meant for at-home workouts. So, you tell it what equipment you have at home. And it goes and generates a workout based on that. It's also super aware of recent workouts you've done, both using Fitbot itself and other activities you might have done, like going for a run. And it will sort of try to adapt and give you a dynamic workout schedule um, such that you don't work out the same muscle group two days in a row, for example. And it's even got in the, like when you open the app, it's got a nice like sort of heat map of your body and shows you what, uh, what muscles you've recently engaged in your workouts and it will try and suggest a workout based on uh, taking into account what muscles might be recovering at uh, at the moment. So, it's got a lot of smarts about it. I haven't paid for it yet because I've been using the body weight only and then there was also like a, a promotion where you got like the pro package free for a little bit. Um, but I'm now at a point where the, um, the free thing has expired. So, I'm probably going to do a year. Um, and because realistically we're going to be in this situation for a while. I don't think gyms will open up for a bit longer. Um, and it's just nice to sort of have those dynamic exercises. It's a good thing about it is it's not always the same. Like they have a huge, especially if you're paying, they have a huge variety of workouts. So a lot of the other, like I've tried like all those kind of seven minute workout apps and things like that at home, they often spit you out the same exercises repeatedly, um, which can get annoying but Fitbod is pretty good about picking the thing. The app has a nice interface as well. So, for a can lot of them... Can you send me a link? Because I can't find this. I just sure, put it awesome. in the show notes. Oh, because I can only find flat stomach workouts no. Fitbod. Fitbod.me. <laughs> Fitbod. No, it's um, not about flat stomach. I mean, you, you, if you wanted it to be, it probably could be. Um, but yeah, you can sort of pick your, your goals. You tell it what weights you have, how, much, how heavy they are. It's quite good. Um, and w- the other thing I like about it is... 
each exercise has an associated GIF. So you can get a nice rundown of what you should be doing. None of the exercises are so uh, complex they can't be represented in a GIF. With a D, I thought Fitbot, Fitbot yes. <laughs> if we only would have some like show notes where we could just read like reference to, Kai. yeah, um, yeah. So it's it's quite cool. Um, the the only downside that I found is, and I don't even know. I mean, this is probably not a downside for some people, but it seems to suggest a lot of handstand workouts for me, and oh, I can't wow. do handstands. So I'm always going in before the exercise begins and swapping out the ones where it wants me to do like handstand push-ups and swapping it out for like regular push-ups or something <laughs> uh, because I am incapable of holding my body upside down. Maybe it's a sign I should learn, but at this moment in time, I can't. And Weird. Um, yeah, sometimes I'll have to uh, adjust that. It seems but yeah, like not the most popular type of workout. No, I'm surprised. It's like... It's like and really big some, on suggesting it. Like what I, I noticed, I've been using some yoga apps when I was mm-hmm. doing, and they, they have like different grades. So they have like beginner, intermediate, and like hard. And I'm like, intermediate is a bit too easy for me. I'm going to go to hard one. And it's like, do handstands, do this like um, card wheel. It's like, are you serious? Like I didn't, I didn't sign up for this. I just wanted a little bit more exhausting um, or a little bit more intense. But yeah, handstands are hard. I can't, I can't do that. Yeah, yeah, they are. Handstands also need more space because you do want to have a bit of you, space yeah. around you in case your handstand is not, especially if you're new to handstands i mean maybe if you're like a handstand expert you only need the space you, the, that you would need to stand somewhere but for me i want uh, at least two meters in all directions when i do a handstand and our apartment well, the, this, most of these are like push up against the wall so yeah. it's assisted handstands but okay. still it's like push up against the wall and then like raise and lower your arms so that you're doing yeah. like a handstand push up and it's like mm-hmm. i cannot do that but thank you for your confidence <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but it's an awesome app um, mm. and probably the best I've found for working out at home, uh, with uh, at least with no equipment. It's really good. All of its body weight only exercises are really good. Um, and it's mm. s- sometimes using those kind of workout at home apps, I find like, oh, they're not that intense. I don't, you don't feel like you've worked out after using them. This is not like that at all. Like I, I genuinely mm. feel like I think the, the biggest thing is um, don't take too long of a breaks between the exercises because it doesn't mandate time or anything. But if you keep going like, uh, and, and just move pretty fast between the exercises, you actually feel quite tired by the end of it. Mm. So, it's good. Cool. cool. Yeah, that's my, my suggestion for everyone stuck at home. Yeah, They're hiring so Arias developers in San Francisco. Yes, and you need to be good with ML, which is cool. Like, the, the work that they're doing with machine learning, which I assume is based on, like, core ML, is, it, it really shows within the app. Uh, I think they have sign-in with Apple as well. Like, they seem really on top of... I signed up weeks ago, so I don't remember exactly, but I'm pretty sure I did a sign in with Apple account. Um, not that you really need an account for this app, but yeah, I did it. I did a sign in with Apple. No harm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's pretty good. Uh, and, and it shows you a nice summary at the end of every workout as well with like, oh, you, uh, did a personal record in, I don't know, sit ups. You did 10 more than you've ever done before or something like that. Um, so it's pretty good. Even though it generally recommends the exercises, you can override it. So mm-hmm. I don't know, for some, some it's generally pretty good about like taking in your previous workouts and knowing how many like i don't know sit-ups you can do in a minute or jumping jacks or whatever it might be but sometimes it'll spit out a number that's like oh well i can you know that's a too easy or too difficult mm-hmm. so you can adjust it there and then it takes that into account when doing your next exercise and it's pretty good oh, nice. um, yep. highly recommend cool should cool. all right give it a shot i'll check it out mm. cool 